Hey everyone, my name is Iman Chaudhry. And my name is Danielle Solish. And today you're listening to the 28th episode of Seeing Clearly, a pre-clerkship guide to all things ophthalmology. Today we have a very special episode as we are going to be interviewing three residents, PGY1s who just started their residency. So first we have Dr. Anastasia Vino-Kurtseva. Second, we have Dr. Anne Tsunglen Wiyung. And finally, we have Ojas Srivastava. So we're going to talk a little bit about each of our three guests here. So first, Anastasia. Uh, Anastasia completed both her Bachelor of Medical Sciences and Doctor of Medicine at Western University. She completed a Glaucoma and Advanced Anterior Segment Surgery Research Fellowship at PRISM Eye Institute and University of Toronto with Dr. Ike Ahmed prior to returning to Western University for her ophthalmology residency. In her free time, she enjoys hiking, DIY projects, working out, gardening, cooking, and traveling. Then we have Anne, and Anne completed her Doctor of Medicine at McGill University and graduated this year in 2023. She has a passion for grassroots community service, research, and medical education. She is currently an ophthalmology resident at the University of Toronto, and outside of medicine, she enjoys playing frisbee, flag football, hockey, and discovering new restaurants. And finally, we have Ogis. And so a little bit about Ogis. He initially grew up in the GTA and then moved out west to Alberta in grade six. Since then, he received his MD a few months ago in 2023 and is now starting his first year of residency in ophthalmology at the University of Alberta. He has a passion for mentorship and hopes to get involved with medical education and teaching throughout residency. Outside of work, Ogis enjoys staying active, traveling, spending time with friends and family, and can never say no to a game of spike ball. So without further ado, we'd like to introduce all three of our residents and get right into it with our very first question, which is, could all of you talk about your journeys to ophthalmology? So Anastasia, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, Thank you, Danielle. Uh, And thank you both for such a lovely introduction. So I um, originally, when I came to medical school, I was very interested in endocrinology. I was particularly interested in diabetes. So I didn't really know what ophthalmology was. I didn't know how different it was from ophthalmology. I was completely oblivious to the specialty. But then as I was learning more about what uh, subspecialties of internal medicine were all about, I realized that I was missing the, uh, you know, doing stuff with my hands. And uh, that's how I started leaning more towards surgical specialties. And ophthalmology really stood out to me like something that combines both the medical aspect of things. And uh, it really also incorporates very delicate surgeries, very um, intricate procedures. And the more I learned about the specialty, the more passionate I was about it. So I started getting involved in more research in it. And um, I think by the end of second year, I was pretty set on uh, on the specialty. I was uh, all in. And uh, from there on, I uh, tried to target all my electives around it. And even if I was um, exploring other specialties, I was always coming back to ophthalmology. I um, ultimately, I graduated in 2022. I didn't match from the first time. So then I applied for a research fellowship. And fortunately, I got accepted to the uh, PRISMA Research Fellowship, the Glaucoma Advanced Interior Segments uh, Surgery Fellowship with Dr. Ike Ahmed. So I did a year there. And after that, matched back to my home school at Western University. And um, yeah, so now being uh, back uh, 
in our first block in residency, we do get to spend time in ophthalmology and it's really incredible. And every time I'm uh, in the clinic or in the OR, I really uh, am so grateful for being there. And um, that truly reinforces that this is the perfect specialty for me. Thank you so much, Anastasia. That was amazing. Uh, we'll turn it over to Anne to answer the same question and just talk a little bit about her journey to ophthalmology. Thank you again, Iman and Danielle, for inviting me on the podcast. Uh, similarly to anesthesia, I didn't know that I wanted ophthalmology when I started medical school. So I actually came in with the thought that I would be a social pediatrician. So that was the reason why I chose medicine instead of journalism, actually. And um, after my first year of university, which is the Med-P year in Quebec, um, I was interested in exploring more research because there are some similarities a bit with journalism. And turns out that I was um, matched with an ophthalmology mentor, so an ophthalmology a PhD uh, supervisor. And that's how I realized that ophthalmology combined so many of my interests. So the community aspect of it, uh, the medical education aspect, innovation, the research side. Um, so I continued doing more work in ophthalmology. I wasn't too sure yet at that point, I'm just starting medical school, if ophthalmology would be the best fit. So like Anastasia mentioned, it is a mix of medicine and surgery. And um, I think it's during my clerkship rotation. So after doing my surgical um, block, I was really convinced I really want to do something surgical. And I was like, ophthalmology is the best specialty. And I guess after that, it was through some various projects that I got to meet ophthalmology residents and staff. And I was like, oh, these are really my people. So I think it was a combination of factors that drew me to ophthalmology. And again, no regrets. I think it's the best specialty. I'm obviously, we're all biased here, but um, so many reasons why ophthalmology is uh, awesome. Yeah, thanks, Anne. And we see that so commonly on the podcast that, you know, people kind of find their way and then they have a mentor or someone that really like influences them to help them with the specialty. And so finally, Ojas, we'll turn it over to you. So yeah, thanks again for having uh, all of us on your on this excellent podcast. I think similar to um, kind of what was mentioned before, it wasn't really like, I genuinely did not even know what an ophthalmologist was or what ophthalmology was prior to starting medical school. I definitely just thought it was similar to some form of optometry and I never really knew the entire scope of the practice. So coming to med school, I had a lot of experience in neuroscience and neurology research. So I came into med school thinking, you know, I was going to be a neurologist. And with this in mind, I still was given the advice by a lot of my mentors and peers that, you know, when you start medical school, you really want to approach everything like a blank slate because you never know where you're going to gravitate towards, which people are going to, uh, you're going to be drawn towards and what specialties just might speak to you. So with that in mind, I tried to shadow, you know, multiple specialties, even during clerkship, even if I had, you know, certain interests in certain specialties, I'd really try my best to walk into every rotation, give it my all and try my level best to see if it was the fit for me. So as I mentioned, I, I initially thought neurology and as I would, as when I was on my neurology rotations, uh, I, I found that, you know, it was an excellent specialty and one that I did thoroughly enjoy, you know, working in. However, I found as I spent more and more weeks there, it just wasn't the fit for me. I was, I was kind of finding myself being more drawn towards the more procedural aspects of medicine. And after that, and, you know, even in clerkship and while I was shadowing, I stumbled upon ophthalmology and 
you know, it was mentioned before, but it's just this beautiful blend of medicine and surgery. And another piece that really spoke to me was that how in ophthalmology, not only are you the medical and surgical expert for, you know, this one domain of medicine, but you're also in a way the imaging expert. There's so much imaging in the field of ophthalmology. And that really spoke to me as well. I did a lot of neuroimaging research, both before medical school and a little bit in medical school. So one thing led to another, and then I met all the residents in the programs. I met a few of the staff and I just found that I really clicked with them. And I think it was mentioned before, but you really find your people. I used to think it was just the same, but I personally found that it truly was a good fit for me. And I, and you know, now that I've sort of been through the process and I'm on the other end, I'm very, very happy with where I am. But uh, ultimately I do know that, you know, even if I ended up in any other specialty, I think medicine is this great field in which, you know, you have this autonomy of picking what subspecialty or what field of medicine you want to go into. So we do have this luxury and privilege of being able to pick where you want to go into, or at least have some say in it. So I think I would have been happy in many specialties, but I am very, very thankful and grateful. I ended up in ophthalmology. Well, thank you all for answering that question. I always love to to hear people's answers and see how similar they are. But with all of you, it's so great to see how you're all open-minded and came to find ophthalmology kind of through your own unique path and then found your people, which is always nice to see. And it's so exciting to see how passionate all three of you are starting residency and so excited to be there. So that's amazing. Thank you all for sharing. Um, we're going to kind of go into some individual uh, questions here. And so uh, Anastasia, we'll start with you. Uh, I was wondering if uh, you could talk a little bit more specifically about your experience completing a research fellowship, maybe, you know, like what a day-to-day -day looked like and for students that may be interested in pursuing that option as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, Iman, absolutely. So um, honestly, looking back at it, I'm so grateful for the experience of being there. I know the going and matched often seems like a very negative experience and it is in the moment. You gotta be honest about it. It's not very pleasant. But at the same time, looking back, I'm really grateful for all the skills I was for all the skills I was able to gain over the past year. Because truly being in an institution that is so innovative and is so focused on research in many different subspecialties of ophthalmology. So I got to double not just in glaucoma, but also in cornea, a little bit in retina. Like you really get to exposure to different subspecialties and to the research that's truly of the forefront of um, innovation. It, um, it's really an amazing experience and I'm really grateful for having had that opportunity because I'm interested in academia and I'm interested in academic ophthalmology. And I think this has given me some skill sets that I'm hoping to apply later. The day-to-day -day was really an opportunity to both have exposure to the clinical um, aspect of ophthalmology, to the surgical aspect of it, and to coordinate with industry as well. So I would often have, see patients for research studies, and I would do a clinical exam on, on them. Um, all the things that we do as uh, you know medical students as residents, I was heavily involved in different aspects of clinical exam. I would uh, record the data. I would use many diagnostic, uh, many types of diagnostic equipment as well. Um, so that was a great learning experience. And of course, you're always grateful for the technicians who are there to teach you and to support you with that. And I'm sure it's going to be helpful in residence as well. Uh, then I would often go to the OR and shadow um, Dr. Ahmed, Dr. Varma, Dr. Schlenker, many other amazing surgeons who are working at uh, University of Toronto. And um Oftentimes they do some very special procedures. People can be referred from other centers in Ontario. People can be referred from even across Canada or even internationally can be coming there to be receiving some very specialized procedures. So I would be there um, 
observing, helping with the OR flow as well. And um, I also had an opportunity to interact with industry. So many companies want their product to be tested um, in clinic to have some research projects that involve their product. And I would be helping coordinate those studies, helping coordinate those uh, interventions in patients. So I would be sometimes the liaison between patients and the uh, the industry in such a way. So it was an interesting exposure because I feel like in academia, we uh, we really don't know how big of a role industry can play in um, in ophthalmology. Even though we have to be very mindful and very careful of any biases that can arise, at the same time, given how innovative ophthalmology is as a specialty, how many um, procedures and um, how much how much diagnostic is involved in uh, in the specialty, it's really helpful to be aware of what things uh, are new, what new things are coming to the market, and how we can incorporate them in our practice. So um, I really uh, had. A very eye-opening experience uh, at Prism, and um, really looking forward to applying those skills in the future in my career. Yeah, and that's incredible. I think that, like, when you hear the term research fellowship, like, you might just assume you're behind a desk doing research all day, but clearly that's not the case. And so that's incredible. And now you're so well prepared for residency, and so it's it's very nice for you to talk so transparently about how positive an experience it was. So thank you. Um, and now just shifting over to Anne. So this is a question specific to you, but could you just talk a little bit about what it was like to match to a school that wasn't your home school, um, especially at a time where you didn't have visiting electives to other schools within Canada, just how you got to know the programs and transition? Excellent question. I think like you mentioned, we didn't have any visiting electives. So we weren't even allowed necessarily, um, well, from the McGill Medical School uh, standpoint to do like informal observerships um, as per the rules. So the way I went about to discover more about uh, the different schools, I guess, for the events, obviously, so there are the open houses. Um, so I was fortunate that at least I was pretty sure in my third year of medical school that I was going to apply to ophthalmology. So even then I started attending the open houses, uh, following the different programs on social media and trying to see a bit the vibe of every school. And uh, more specifically, how I got to know different staff and residents from different schools is uh, through the Canadian Ophthalmology Student Interest Group. Uh, so during COVID, there were limited interactions between schools and also some limited opportunities to, you know, get to know the programs, learn about ophthalmology, have some hands-on experience. So it's a program that uh, I started in August, 2020. And essentially we organize a virtual course. And I was very fortunate that this course was um, um, supported by one of the University of Toronto residents and now a fellow. So Dr. Mike Nui, and I think he was on the podcast as well. So he uh, is a, a fantastic, uh, was a fantastic resident, now a fellow, and I got to learn more about the University of Toronto program via him. And then we also organized through COSIG uh, different events, highlighting the different programs and highlighting different residents. So that's how I got to informally interact with them. But honestly, I didn't necessarily do any research projects uh, with attendings or staff at the University of Toronto. Um, I think I did a few medical education projects via COSIG with them but um I, I guess 
I didn't really know necessarily what I was embarking in, but why I really chose UFT, I think the the social, the residents, um, everyone was so welcoming. I really liked my experience uh, during the interviews. Uh, surprisingly, that was really the, the deciding factor on my end. And so far, it's been wonderful. So we've already had a couple of events. I got to meet all the other residents and um, the attendings invited us at their house. Uh, so really, uh, really enjoyed the experience. And I think one thing that to look into like the different programs, I guess, is seeing what interests align. So for example, Toronto is like a bigger program. There is some uh, research support, but also a lot of like strong clinical and surgical training, obviously that goes before research um, and also opportunities for community outreach. So those are all things that really attracted me uh, to Toronto specifically. Thank you for sharing. And it's amazing to see, you know, how you did that throughout COVID and throughout no visiting electives, the unique avenues that you took. And really congratulations on COSIC. It's an amazing initiative and it was awesome for medical students and I clearly helped you find your home. And I'm so happy to see that you're speaking about Toronto like that and that you're enjoying your time so far there. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit now to OGIS. Uh, we were wondering if you could talk a little bit about the process of parallel planning. I know that that's something that you went through and a lot of medical students that apply to ophthalmology also consider. So it'd be really helpful for our guests if you provide some insight on that. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, parallel planning is interesting and it's definitely something that I don't think there was, you know, much talk on or access to information for specifically as it pertains to ophthalmology, what people, what people's story or path look like if it included parallel planning. So for me, I kind of just sit back and reflect on, you know, why did I apply to medical school? And for me, I applied to medical school to be a physician. It wasn't necessarily to be an ophthalmologist, a neurologist, or, you know, any subspecialty. It was just to be a physician. And with that in mind, I found fields of medicine that I was drawn more towards. So as I mentioned, I had some prior experience in neurology and neuroscience research. So I thought that, you know, I would be very fulfilled if I went into neurology. Similarly, I was I gravitated towards internal medicine after I completed my like clerkship rotation in internal medicine. And obviously ophthalmology, like a lot of people gravitate towards. So with those three in mind, those are the three that I had applied for in terms of parallel planning. And once I kind of had that in mind, I began sort of thinking about how can I schedule my electives so they almost complement one another. Now I was sort of lucky because in there is a great deal of internal medicine. In neurology and there's a lot of neurology and internal medicine and similarly with ophthalmology they both internal medicine and neurology complement ophthalmology as well so i did have a bit of an upper hand in that sense so a lot of my elective planning was essentially i think i had four weeks of neurology i had eight weeks of internal medicine and i think i had six to eight weeks or eight weeks of ophthalmology as well and again i had the luxury of being at a four-year program that allowed us to have so many electives i believe i also did like this two-week elective in between second year and third year of medical school, which helped me kind of get to that um, that high number of electives. So it did take a little bit of planning earlier on, but I, I think it was great because all the internal medicine, neurology knowledge that I learned, I was able to implement all my ophthalmology electives. And sort of speaking a little bit to interview prep. So once you get to that point of you know interviewing, you're applying for, if if you're, most people parallel plan with sort of just two specialties, but if you're applying to three, maybe four even, then you kind of have to consider 
how many interviews or how many applications you're filling out, which can be quite daunting. So just ensuring that you budget enough time when it comes to CARMS applications and electives is, is quite paramount and, and important. The other thing that I personally found very helpful was that I found a mentor in kind of all three specialties. And that really helped me because this mentor of mine knew that my mentor in each of the three specialties knew that I was sort of applying to all three, but there were genuine people that I had that had a, you know, a really great deal of interest in both helping me professionally and personally. So I knew that I could, you know, be very genuine and honest with them. And they wanted me to succeed as a physician, not as a certain specialist in any field. So that was incredibly helpful. And I would say the number one advice I would give for parallel planning is not only, you know, starting early and really trying to plan everything out, but number two would be try your level best to find mentors in each of the fields that you're pursuing. And for me, that was uh, mentors primarily that were residents. So that would be my golden piece of advice or nugget if I could give one. It is tough. And, you know, if that is the route that you're pursuing, I'm more than happy to, you know, chat about it further if there are any students on the line that, you know, are interested in that specifically. It is tough and it involves a lot of prep because not only are you going to be studying and preparing for ophthalmology electives, but at the same time, you want to perform to your level best on your internal medicine, on your neurology. So it does become hard, but at the end of the day, it does make you stronger on all your other rotations when you've sort of prepped for the others. So that's my kind of two cents on parallel planning. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. As you mentioned, it's we as medical students don't get a lot of transparent information about parallel planning, and it is extremely difficult, as like you have said, and you know, going through the elective process, the application, like needing all of the time. So, you know, congratulations on on getting through all of that. I I know how challenging it can be, and thank you for offering that advice and for offering uh, to have any students reach out to you. So that's wonderful. Um, and now that we've kind of gone through the individual questions, let's just end it off with a question um, for all of you. And then Anastasia, we can start with you. But um, just for people going through the process right now, applying to CARMS coming up, do you have maybe one piece of advice that you want to share or something you kind of wish you knew when you started to some sort of words of wisdom for our students listening in? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think um, two things that... I like to share would be one, um, always um, assume that you will not have enough time to complete the application, start as early as possible. Because no matter how um, like how ready you think you are, there's always a little something extra on the portal that you may need to do. So the earlier you start, the better. And um, I know like I have a tendency to procrastinate. I'm probably not alone, uh, but it really... Um, the last few days of the application tend to be really, really hard. So if you are able to try to plan ahead, try to uh, get started on uh, perfecting your resume and your um, your personal statement early on, because there's always something you want to edit at the last minute, but the earlier you start, the better it is ultimately uh, by the time you submit. And um, I think the other piece of advice, it's like more of a life advice and maybe very general, but make sure you don't put your life on hold just for those professional aspirations because life goes on. Like we are young right now. This is this is the prime time of our life. And no matter how busy it gets, it's important to make time for our friends, for our loved ones, because we can never make up that time. Like the perfect time, there's never a perfect time for for something. You can't always put things on hold. So make sure you uh, you take a, you take a break from studying. You take a break from you know uh, 
working on that Karms application and spend time with your friends, spend time with your family, because those memories will, will be something you will remember. Thank you so much, Anastasia. That was uh, incredible advice and super honest advice. And so we really, really appreciate it. And such true advice. It's, you know, you should take the time to not only, you know, prepare and get ready for CARMS, but to also, you know, spend time with your loved ones and do things that you really enjoy because you need time for both. And it's important to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. Um, and so with that, we'll turn it uh, over to uh, Anne and uh, see what her piece of advice is. I won't repeat what Anastasia said, though it is very accurate and definitely some awesome advice. Um, on my end, to add on to that, I think it's really important that you remain yourself and you're also kind to yourself and others. So whether it is like in the clinical setting, like being a good team player, you know, all the reasons and qualities that you mentioned during your medical school interviews, like being compassionate to others, that includes like not only the patients, but your coworkers, your colleagues. Um, obviously, like we mentioned, so patient care is the most essential thing, not like shining, you know, it's really the goal is patient care at the end of the day. So that would be my piece of advice. Um, and another thing that I'd like to highlight again, I think we mentioned mentorship. And I think you can find different mentors within residence, uh, within attendings, and can be through different forms. So I cold emailed uh, some mentors or some uh, ophthalmologists at Stanford. And one of them is my biggest supporter up to today. Um, same thing, University de Montréal, research-wise. And at McGill, I was really fortunate um, that in the clinical setting, I really found some very good mentors. And I think it's not something you can necessarily calculate, but it's something you can always try. Um, and again, you can probably reach out to anyone on uh, this podcast if ever you just need some advice or someone to help you out. Oh, thank you. Like, first of all, what you said was very important in that, like, remember why you're there. Like, you're there to be, like, a compassionate person who's there to help patients. And, you know, it's not always about shining and putting yourself, like, forward. Um, it's really you have to remind yourself, like, what you're in this for. And second of all, completely agree about the mentors. I know everyone on this podcast is a mentor to me. So I'm, I'm very fortunate as well. And it, it goes a long way. And Ojas, we'll end with you and then we'll move on to the would you rathers. Awesome. So yeah, some excellent golden nuggets have been dropped. But to follow that, I will say, I'll give kind of two things. So one thing that I found was the most bang for my buck, both for you know students that are earlier on in medical school is go through the program descriptions of programs that you're really interested in. And it's very accessible on the CARMS website. And if you just go through the program descriptions, they really highlight not only what they're looking for in a medical student, but also the the tangible details and the objective things that are looking for. So for example, I didn't really know that you needed like an ophthalmology report or like an eye report to apply to ophthalmology. So things like that, it's just nice to have in the back of your head as you're navigating, you know, even pre-clerkship clerkship, it's just nice to have in the back of your head some of these tidbits. So that's one small thing that I found helpful earlier on. And then the last thing I'll leave you with is this was shared shared with me by actually three of the UVA ophthalmology residents when I was going through my electives. And it was that, oh, just, you know what, at the end of when, when you submit your CARMS application at the very end, all you should strive to do is when you click that submit button and you, you know, you're done, just know that 
if you can submit that application and know that you've done everything in your power and you're going to be happy with the result, regardless of what, what happened, then you should have no regrets at all. So that's sort of what I strive towards in the last few months of not only medical school, but applying to ophthalmology. And even as it, as it pertains to, you know, writing my LMCC in the final days of medical school, I just really wanted to be at a place where when I hit submit, when I'm at my last day of medical school, I'm going to be happy with the result no matter what it is, because I put in all my time and energy. So that's what I'll leave you with. And that's kind of that final piece of advice that I'd like to leave the medical students with today. Well, thank you so much for leaving us on that note. It was a high note and some very important advice that I think everyone can can relate to and take something from. Um, and with that, we've kind of ended our ophthalmology related questions. So I'm so thankful that for all of you to be here and for our audience, they kind of know that we transitioned to this would you rather segment to get to know each of you a little bit better on an even more personal level. Um, so Anastasia, we'll start with you again. Sorry, we keep starting with you, but uh, the, for the first question, would you rather read an awesome book or watch a good movie? Mm. I would rather read an awesome book because there's no limit to how amazing it's going to be in my head once I imagine what I'm reading. Whereas in the movie, you know, there are budget constraints, there's the acting <laughs> skills limits. So <laughs> I think I'd rather read the book. Yeah, honestly the same. I, I like... I like when they have a movie after a book and then I realize how different my imagination was than the people they cast. It's it's always great. Um, and then Anne, for you, would you rather write a New York Times bestseller or win an Olympic gold medal? Oof. I think both are very unlikely, um, but I, I think that the New York Times bestseller might be the one that I'd elect. I just think it would be back to like, in the day when I wanted to be a journalist, it would be just something, you know, bringing me back to that. Um, Olympic medal, I just can't think of any sport where I would be a, a Olympian. Hey, maybe they'll bring flag football to the Olympics and then you can participate. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, and then oh, just we'll end with you. Uh, would you rather eat the same food every day or once you eat a certain food, you're never able to eat it again? Oh, definitely same food. I've, I think I've ate like the oatmeal that I eat every morning. I think I've been eating it for like over 400 days. So I'm a man of routine, so I don't mind it at all. Yeah. If anyone knows how to impress you, they just need to bring you oatmeal for breakfast. There you go. Um, and with that, we have wrapped up our episode. So first of all, I want to say thank you to our incredible residents. As you all can hear from this episode, they're the most eloquent of speakers and they were incredibly um, an incredible pleasure to have on this episode. So thank you guys. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening to our 28th episode of Seeing Clearly, which is our pre-clerkship guide to ophthalmology. Um, you can stay caught up with iCurriculum by visiting our website at www.icurriculum.com or follow us on Instagram at iCurriculum. And please reach out if you have any questions. I know that all of our guests today um, were so willing to do so and we really appreciate that. So thank you all very much. Thank you all for coming. Thank you.